Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Memcast. My name is Dr Rachel Savile and today I've got Dr Tom Moore with me who's one of our oncology registrars in the East Midlands. He's going to be talking to us today about principles of oncology. Hi Tom. Hi Rachel. Cancer itself is a group of diseases that result in uncontrolled growth and spread of abnormal cells. These cells are mutated cells from your normal tissue. Oncology is all about the study about what happens to these cancer cells and how they differentiate from your normal tissue and then from that you can understand how to treat them. So we think of cancer as a disease itself of the genome and there's wonderful pieces of work that have been going on for the last 20 years about trying to understand how normal cells change and adapt and differentiate and become these abnormal cells. There's a beautiful sequence you can see in bowel cancers where you have polyps developing and you get normal epithelium and this changes and you develop an adenomatous polyp and this happens as certain hits happen on the cell's genome. These hits continue to build up and the polyps become more abnormal. They grow, become an adenoma. The adenoma then develops into a carcinoma and it's understanding these hits that allows us to understand how cancers grow how they become more aggressive and there's a wonderful paper which you don't need to read for the MRCP but if you're interested in oncology defines all of our cancer treatment principles called the hallmarks of cancer by Hanahan and Weinberg. It was written in 2000 and there was an update in 2011 and that identifies six hallmarks of cancer and they've expanded it to ten. By understanding those properties of a cell we then can think about how to target that and that's what things like chemotherapy do. There are special targeted therapies that you'll have heard of like Herceptin, all based around these principles. The six main ones are that a cancer cell will have sustained proliferative signaling, it will evade growth suppressors, the cells themselves will become more active and start to invade normal tissue and eventually that invasion leads to metastasis. The cells also have replicative immortality. They lose their telomeres and so they continue to replicate. They are able to induce angiogenesis, allowing them to create their own supply of nutrients to the cell. And most importantly, they're able to resist cell death. There are other principles which have been included, such as invading the body's own immune system. Essentially, these cancers act to grow, consume nutrients, increase their own blood supply and then spread to other areas. And this is how cancers act and ultimately how they kill people. They use up the body's own natural resources, causing people to lose weight and their body to shut down. Although local effects like having some kind of bowel obstruction or obstruction of an airway can also lead to death. As your body's nutrients are used up, you can get secondary complications, you can develop infections more easily, your body becomes more prothrombotic as you have an increased inflammatory state. So all of these other things can ultimately lead to death from cancers. Mm-hmm. And when we're looking at staging somebody with cancer, we take a number of things into consideration, their, their exam, their radiological findings and their histology. But then we also have a staging system for cancer severity as well. Yes, so cancer staged in different ways and it very much depends on the cancer but there are some general principles that you can apply to all cancers. We use what's called the TNM system which breaks down into the size of the primary tumour, the number of lymph nodes involved and whether or not there are metastases. All cancers can be staged this way with TNM. 
in general, and it varies from cancer to cancer, but stage one is localized cancer, whereas stage four cancer is cancer with metastatic disease. Mm -hmm. Between those stages of one to four, two and three can be variable. Usually stage two cancers show a slightly larger primary tumor, perhaps with some higher risk features. And stage three cancers usually involve some spread to local lymph nodes, but not to elsewhere in the body. And you're absolutely right, staging is based on clinical exam imaging, and that imaging can be a CT scan, can be a PET scan, and there are different forms of PET scan, the most common being an FTG PET scan. MRI imaging has revolutionized cancer staging. You also need to think about the histology. Most cancer diagnoses are based upon that imaging and a biopsy. You can give gradings on how aggressive the type of tumour cells are. Are there any common tumour markers that we should know about? There are a host of tumour markers. Tumour markers are very useful for monitoring how cancer treatments are going. They are not always helpful diagnostically. There are a few cancers which tumour markers are used primarily in diagnosis. For example, PSA in prostate cancer is very sensitive and pretty specific. In somebody with a germ cell tumour, they often present in weird and wonderful ways, particularly metastatic disease. And by germ cell tumour, I'm referring usually to testicular cancers. And often that can present in a metastatic setting where somebody is acutely unwell and a young man and you can't work out why. They may have some abnormal lumps on a scan and I would encourage anybody in that situation to have testicular cancer in the back of your mind and do the tumour markers for it which is a beta HCG, an AFP and an LDH. Other than those situations of prostate and germ cell cancers, tumour markers are there and they are relevant but clinically they don't make a huge amount of difference in the diagnosis of cancer, in the treatment they can be very useful for monitoring. And I think you were going to talk a bit about treatment options and what sort of things you take into account when you're considering what type of treatment someone can be offered. Yeah, absolutely. Cancer treatment depends entirely on how the person is first and foremost, how fit they are and what they want. You consider that, you consider the state of the cancer itself and then as a multidisciplinary team, you decide what to do. The best way of deciding how fit a patient is, is something called the WHO or European Clinical Oncology Group Performance Status Assessment. And that's graded as zero to five. If your performance status zero, you're fit and well. If your performance status five, you're dead. So it's not the most useful scale. Naught to four is much more useful. If you're four, you are completely disabled and bedbound. If your performance status three, you're confined to a chair or bed for more than half of the day. If your performance status two, more than half of the day, you're up and about and active, but you still need some help doing some self-care things. Performance status one, you're fully independent, but you probably couldn't go to work and hold down a full-time job. Um, whereas performance status zero, you're fully capable of doing anything. That grading system is incredibly useful for oncologists and it's something that everybody wants to know when deciding how well a patient will cope with a treatment, whether that treatment is purely surgical, whether it's to do with any oncology treatments, chemotherapy, and it is a very good predictor of how you will do through your treatment. There are other assessments that can happen, such as frailty assessments, which I won't go into now. 
in terms of oncology treatment, you have your patient and you think about them and you have the cancer and you think about how that is and you try to work out what your intention is. Is this something that you think you can cure? In which case we call it a radical treatment option. Is it something that we think we can cure but need some extra treatment around it? In which case we give adjuvant treatments as well. These are extra treatments to try and help your main treatment, which is usually surgical excision, and that can either be given neoadjuvantly, which means giving treatment before your main treatment, such as chemotherapy to downstage a breast cancer to try and make the operation easier as you make the lump smaller. Or you can give adjuvant chemotherapy, which is there to try and reduce the risk of a cancer coming back, say if you've had a bowel cancer, which had some spread to lymph nodes. Those are all your curative treatment modalities and so anybody who you see on adjuvant treatment has had a curative treatment. They should not have cancer, they are just having something to stop the cancer coming back. If you're not able to cure the cancer, you're then thinking about palliative treatments. You want to try and improve the person's quality of life, you want to improve their length of life, and you want to try and minimise the symptoms they're going to get from the cancer. And it's very important early on to have a discussion with the patient so that they know what kind of treatment they're getting from the outset. The main cancer treatments in general are surgery. Surgeons are the best oncologists. They chop things out. It has been proven in the vast majority of cancers that chopping it out is the best way. It's not true for all cancers, but for most of them. A surgeon is keen to get clear margins, and so we often look at the surgical specimen once it's been removed. An R0 resection means that both the surgeon at the time of the operation thought they got it all out. Somebody's looked under a microscope and said there's at least a millimetre margin between the cancer and normal tissue cells. An R1 resection is something that the surgeon has chopped out, thought they'd got all of it out, but looking down a microscope, their cells too close to the edge, less than a millimetre. And then an R2 resection is where actually the surgeon, even at the time of the operation, recognised, I've tried to chop this all out, but I think I left something behind. Often, in different forms of surgery, they will also try and take out localised lymph nodes to try and assess these as well to see is there any microscopic or macroscopic spread of the cancer cells. When you think about your MRCP exam, it's important to know what their surgical scars are. Can you work out what operation they had? The next line of cancer treatments in terms of targeted treatments is radiotherapy. Now, radiotherapy is all about using ionizing radiation to kill cancer cells. We know that as cancer cells divide more rapidly, they are more susceptible to this form of ionising radiation, which acts either directly on the cell's DNA or indirectly to damage their replicating cancer cells and kill them. Radiotherapy on its own can cure cancers. It all depends on how localised they are. We know that certain cancers respond better to radiotherapy than others. For example, prostate cancers and cervical cancers, the mainstay of treatment for early stage disease is radiotherapy now because actually we get as good outcomes as surgery and it's less invasive. The radiation that we give is given in different ways. Most of the time it's externally using something called a linear accelerator and sometimes we give it internally or at the point of the treatment with something called brachytherapy. That treatment can sometimes be used in the palliative setting as well. Say if you've got some bony pains from cancer that spread, 
Radiotherapy can help relieve pain. Radiotherapy is always targeted. If a cancer has already spread to multiple areas, then unless you're getting symptoms from one particular area, it's not going to be so useful for you. In terms of your MRCP exam, people have radiotherapy tattoos and they're an easy thing to spot. They're usually on the chest or the pelvis. You can also tell if someone has had radiotherapy previously because as the radiotherapy beams pass through the person, they leave changes or scars which affect the skin in particular. And you can pick up telangiectasia localised to a particular area or skin fibrosis can occur. Likewise, if you're auscultating somebody's lungs who has radiotherapy tattoos on and you hear fine crackles that sound like fibrosis, that could be caused by radiotherapy. Another cancer treatment is chemotherapy. There are lots of different types of chemotherapy and for certainly part one of the exam, knowing common types of chemotherapy can be useful. All chemotherapy is based around killing rapidly dividing cells. It's all about understanding the cell cycle and cancer cell properties. The most important side effects to know about chemotherapy are that chemotherapy, as well as killing rapidly dividing cancer cells, kills patients rapidly dividing normal cells as well, particularly in their bone marrow, causing low blood counts, particularly neutropenia. If somebody's neutropenic, they're particularly susceptible to bacterial infections and can become incredibly unwell very quickly. And so you'd want to treat them with antibiotics urgently if you suspect an infection. Other things that you can think about for MRCP is to look for pick lines or tunneled lines or nail changes and hair loss related to chemotherapy treatments. Other cancer treatments, hormonal therapies, they're most relevant to prostate and breast cancers. It's worth knowing the common treatments which are tamoxifen and anastrozole for breast cancers and androgen deprivation therapy in prostate cancer. Other cancer therapies, which you may need to be aware of, are targeted therapies, something like Herceptin for breast cancer is one of the earliest and most well-known about targeted therapies and is an EGFR inhibitor. More exciting newer cancer therapies include immunotherapy. This is treatment which has been developed over the last eight to ten years, which has changed a lot of cancer prognosis for certain cancer types. It acts to stimulate the body's immune system and also stops the cancer hiding from the body's immune system using CTLA-4 inhibitors or PDL1 inhibitors. These treatments can be very successful and the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 2018 was won by some of the people who invented this, James P. Allison and Takasu Honjo. In terms of side effects of immunotherapy, it's important to be aware that immunotherapy causes flare-ups of autoimmune conditions. These can be conditions the patient was known to have, but most often it's conditions patients aren't known to have or are newly developed, including autoimmune hepatitis and colitis, which are usually treated with immunosuppression, i.e. steroids. Those are the mainstays of cancer treatments. Brilliant. Thank you, Tom. That was a fantastic overview of oncology. Thank you so much for your time.